from here in the Holy Land. Welcome to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. I'm your host, Yael Eckstein, President and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Each week, we'll explore the Jewish roots of your Christian faith and nourish those roots with inspirational insights and ancient teachings that are so relevant to our lives today. Let's get started. Do you ever feel like you're living on autopilot? Like you're going through your daily routine automatically without really choosing your life? Or maybe you've had the experience of waking up one morning and wondering how your life turned out the way that it is when it's not at all the way that you want it to be. On today's podcast, we're going to talk about what we can do each day in order to get closer to the life that we really want, the life that God wants for us. We'll look at the biblical story of Esau and Jacob and what caused Esau to give up his future for a pot of soup. We'll learn how to stop self-defeating behaviors and how to set ourselves up for living our best lives. Every week, Jews around the world read and study the same Torah portion known as the Parsha. This week's Parsha is called Toldot, which means generations, and it covers Genesis 25, 19 through 28, 9. In the first few verses of this week's Parsha, we learn that Isaac prayed for his wife, Rebecca, to have children, and soon after that, Rebecca became pregnant with twins. The first of the twins to be born was named Esau, or Esav in Hebrew, and the second was named Jacob, or Yaakov in Hebrew. The Bible tells us that Esav and Yaakov grew up to be very different from each other. Esav became a hunter, a man of the field, immersed in the material world. And in contrast, Jacob, or Yaakov in Hebrew, was a simple person who stayed at home. And according to the Jewish tradition, he stayed home so that he could concentrate on his spiritual growth. The verses I want to explore with you today records the incident where Esau, who was technically the older brother, sold his birthright to Jacob. The verses are from Genesis chapter 25, verses 29 through 34, and I'm going to read them to you now. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Wow, there is a lot to unpack in these verses. But the basic story is that Esau came home one day feeling very hungry and agreed to sell his birthright to Jacob for a pot of Jacob's stew. This changed history. The story seems straightforward, but when we look at it closely, some things just don't add up. First of all, how could Jacob take advantage of a dying man, a man who is also his own brother? 
Jacob was the third patriarch of Israel, and in Judaism, he is considered a righteous person. But in this passage, he doesn't appear to be that way. Another issue is that while Esau seemed to be an innocent victim in this story, the Bible seems to criticize only him, while nothing negative is said about Jacob at all. The entire incident ends with the phrase, so Esau despised his birthright. How can the Bible say that when it seems that he was forced into selling it? Jewish tradition fills in a lot of information and gives context to what really happened. With this information that was documented generation to generation, we can understand the story in a completely different way, and everything makes perfect sense. So here's what happened. This episode didn't take place on any random day. It happened just after Abraham passed away, which is mentioned just a few verses earlier, and the family was actually in mourning. This explains why Jacob was making lentil stew in the first place. In Judaism, lentil stew is a traditional food for someone who is in mourning because of the round shape of the lentils. Round foods like lentils or eggs symbolize the cycle of life from birth to death. The round shape also represents the idea that the soul is eternal. Like a circular line, the soul has no beginning and no end. It's eternal. Losing the grandfather, the patriarch of the family, definitely had an effect on Esau and Jacob. When someone close to us dies, it makes us consider our own lives. Has that ever happened to you? That someone close to you dies and you start to ask, what are we living for? What do we want to accomplish in the years that we have left? When someone dies, we realize that life is short and that if there's something we want to do in life, we had better do it soon. Well, this explains why the birthright was on Jacob's mind during this time. Did you ever wonder why he brought it up now in this specific story, seemingly out of the blue? Well, the rabbis explained that both Esau and Jacob were deeply affected by Abraham's death and that it caused them both to really evaluate their lives, to go deep inside asking those fundamental questions on the meaning of life and what we want to accomplish. So they both asked the same question, but they came to two very different conclusions. Abraham's death led Jacob to focus on the future and the legacy that he wanted to create through his own life, while Asa had the completely opposite reaction. Instead of thinking about the future, he became very focused on getting as much pleasure as possible in the present moment. When Asa said, look, I'm about to die, he wasn't really about to die. He was expressing his outlook on life, that since he could die at any moment, he wanted to enjoy every pleasure that he possibly could right now in the moment. As the modern saying goes, you only live once. The birthright was of no value to him because it was only something that he would benefit from in the distant future. This is why the Bible says, so Asa despised his birthright. Esau prioritized instant gratification over future success, and that caused him to make the worst decision of his life, to sell his birthright and forfeit the role he might have played as a father of God's people. 
It's easy for us to look at this story from the outside and in hindsight and judge Asa as completely foolish. But the truth is that we make the same mistake that he did all the time. And it keeps us from living our best life, just like it did to Asa. Don't we all make the mistake of sacrificing the future for the sake of immediate gratification sometimes? Aren't we all blinded sometimes by the allure of something we could enjoy right now at the expense of something better in the future? It's the reason why so many people overeat, overspend, and do all kinds of things that are self-defeating in the long run. But when we let our desires and bad habits dictate our decisions, we put them in the driver's seat and let them dictate the course of our lives. When that happens, often enough, our lives start to head off course, and we might end up in places we never wanted to go. If we want to live our best lives, the life that God wants for us, we have to get back in the driver's seat. We have to overcome the tendency to be like Asa, giving in to instant gratification. And we have to learn to be more like Jacob, prioritizing our long-term goals. As people of faith, we know that part of living a godly life means overcoming our flesh, our desires in the moment. But it turns out that our ability to delay gratification is one of the greatest indicators of success in all areas of life. Have you ever heard of the famous marshmallow experiment? I love this. In this experiment, scientists place one marshmallow in front of a young child and tell them that if they wait a while and they don't eat the marshmallow, they can have two marshmallows later on. Some children can't wait, and so they have one marshmallow and forfeit their chance to enjoy a second one, the instant gratification. But other children are able to delay that pleasure, and as a result, and with twice as many in the end. Now, here's the thing. Researchers found that the children that were able to delay gratification were far more likely to succeed in life. The good news is that even if we weren't born with the tendency to delay gratification, even if we would have failed the marshmallow test as a child, we can still gain that ability. But it isn't so much a skill that we can learn as much as a muscle that we can build. There's a saying in Judaism, who is strong, he who overcomes his desires. The ability to rein in our desires in the moment for the sake of something better in the future really takes strength. And like any muscle, it takes constant practice in order to build it. I once heard about a famous rabbi who lived in the 19th century, Rabbi Alexander Ziskind, who had a seemingly strange custom when it came to breaking his fast after Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. On Yom Kippur, Jews fast for at least 25 hours. By the time the holy day ends, people are very hungry. Most people dive right into foods that are easy to eat and quick to satisfy. But Rabbi Ziskin had a custom to break his fast on bony fish, a dish that forced him to eat slowly and patiently so that he wouldn't choke on a bone. He did this in order to practice overcoming his desire for food. He wanted to make sure that even in the throes of a hunger, 
after a full fast of 25 hours, when he was really, really, really hungry, that his soul remained in control of his body. In the same way, every day gives us countless opportunities to practice overcoming our desires. Every time we pause to say grace before we eat, Every time we tithe our income and give away money we might otherwise spend on our desires, and every time we overcome what feels good in the moment for the sake of what we want in the future, we build that muscle that allows us to make the right life decisions. And ultimately, we live the life that we really want. But living the life we want to live isn't just about our ability to master the moment, to make the right decisions in the present moment. It's also about gaining the right perspective about the future, like Jacob did. Esau's decisions were made only according to what he saw in the present moment. And that's what led to his downfall. But Jacob's decisions were informed by his vision for the future. And that's what made him successful. And if we want to be successful in life, we also need to be led by a vision for our future. There's a Jewish phrase that I think about often in my own life. We say, Sof which is Hebrew and means last in deed, first in thought. This phrase is part of our Sabbath prayers and describes the Sabbath. The last thing that God created but the foremost in God's thought. The Sabbath is the day when man connects with God, and while it was last to be created, it is the purpose of all of creation. But this phrase also represents the approach we need to take to the life that we want to create for ourselves. We need to begin with the end in mind. We need to have a vision for our future so we know what we're working towards. Let me explain what I mean. I personally am not so great when it comes to following driving directions when I'm in a place that I'm not familiar with. So when navigation systems first came out, I was thrilled. It meant that I would no longer get lost or be late when I traveled around America on behalf of the fellowship. And my first trip with my new GPS, I was so excited. I didn't have to print out maps. I didn't have to follow the directions. I just had a look at the GPS who would tell me where to go. On the first day, I got into my car, plugged in my GPS, and was all ready to go. But then I realized that I wasn't going anywhere so fast. I left the address of the meeting in my hotel room, and without knowing my destination, the GPS was worthless. You know what? I sat there and realized the same is true in life. If we don't know where we want to end up, we won't be able to get there. When I was young, I used to dream about the life that I wanted to have when I got older. Some people dream about weddings, some people dream about parties, and I would dream about the life that I wanted to have, but more long term. As I got older, got married, and began to have children, a light bulb went off in my head one day, and I realized that the life of my dreams wasn't going to happen on its own. I realized that I had to form an intention to go back to like when I was young and I would envision what my life would look like. Suddenly now was the time to make that a little bit more tangible, 
to really draw out the details about what kind of life I wanted, what kind of marriage I wanted to be in, what kind of parent I wanted to be, what my relationship with God would be like. And it was only once that I was clear on that, that I could create the life I wanted, that I can take the different steps I needed to take in order to get that life that I dreamed of. If we drive around aimlessly, we probably won't like where we're going to end up. But if we are clear on where we want to be, we can make a plan to get there. Which brings me to my next point. Once we are clear about our vision for the future, we need to let it inform what we do in the present. In other words, we need to make a plan and stick to it. There's another saying in Judaism that goes like this, who is wise, he who can see the future. Now, this doesn't mean that a wise person is only a prophet. It means that a wise person understands the consequences of actions and non-actions and how they shape the future. In many ways, we do have control over what our life will look like. A wise person understands the steps that we need to take every day in order to end up in the place we want to be. But when we translate the saying literally, not to paraphrase it, but word for word from the original Hebrew, we can learn another important lesson. Literally, the saying in Hebrew reads, Who is wise? He who sees what will be born. A woman who gives birth goes through a lot of discomfort and pain before a baby is born. Believe me, I know, I'm blessed with four children. But the mother knows that the discomfort is necessary in order for the baby to be born. She's able to get through the pain because she knows that the end result is worth it. I remember my mother telling me about when she was giving birth to me. She's really tiny and giving birth was one of the most beautiful things that she said she ever did. And I said, how is it so beautiful when you're in so much pain? And she looked at me and she said, because I knew that every pain was bringing me closer to you. In the same way, a wise person not only makes a plan that will lead to the future he or she wants, but they will stick to that plan even when it is tough because they know that in the end, it will be worth it. It will bring them to the life that they envision. Now that I'm a parent, I can appreciate all the things that my parents did in order to help me and my sisters thrive even when it was hard for them. Growing up, my father wasn't around as much as he would have liked or as much as we would have liked. He worked really hard, day and night, building the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews during the week. And during the weekend, he held a job as a pulpit rabbi. The synagogue where he worked was over two miles away from our home. And since Orthodox Jews don't drive on the Sabbath, my father had to walk there early, early, early on Saturday mornings and all the way back after services. He did this in the rain, he did this in the snow, he did this in the heat, and he did this on the Shabbat, even though it meant that he was away for most of the day. My father had no choice. He needed those jobs. But he made a decision every week that we would have Sunday 
fun day, which meant that every Sunday he would take us girls to do something fun together. And my mother got a little chance to rest. We looked forward to Sundays with our Abba all week long. Sundays was the day that all day long we would just be together. He'd take us to the movies or to an amusement park or even just on a nature walk. It didn't matter. It was spending time together that mattered most. Sunday fun days. It's something that was big in our household. And you know why? Because ultimately, it's what was most important to my father. When I look back on it now, I know that it wasn't always easy for my father. Sometimes me and my sisters fought. Sometimes we made big messes. And one time I even threw up after a ride at the amusement park. And each Sunday, my father was probably exhausted from his rigorous schedule. I'm sure there were many Sundays when my father would have preferred to take it easy. But he never broke his commitment to Sunday fun day because he understood that all of these small outings would have a huge impact on our lives. It's what was important to him. He was wise and knew that even if it came with a certain degree of discomfort, the impact that these outings had on our family was worth it. And he was right. My friends, the life we really want won't just happen on its own. But if we get clear on where we want to end up in life, if we make a plan to get there, and if we stick to that plan, even when it means giving up some pleasures in the moment, we will accomplish our goals and live the life of our dreams. It may not always be easy, but I believe it will definitely be worth it. In Ecclesiastes 7.4, we read, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. In a house of mourning, people get clear on what really matters in life. This week, let's be like Jacob, who gained clarity while mourning Abraham. And let's get clear about what we really want out of life. Let's make the decisions to take the steps we need to get there. Ask yourself, what do I want to accomplish with my life? What really matters to me in the long run? What kind of person do I want to ultimately be? Then take a few minutes, write it down. Ask yourself, what steps might you take each day or each week in order to achieve your goals? Make a plan and commit to it. Remember, it won't always be easy to stay on course. There will be moments when the temptations of the moment overcome our vision for the future. But the important thing is that we become aware when we aren't in control and that we get back in the driver's seat and head back in the right direction. And remember that we never drive alone. God is always in the passenger seat, guiding us and loving us and rooting for us at every part of our journey. Shavuot Tov, my friends. Have a wonderful week. Thank you for listening to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. If you like what you have heard, visit me at mybiblicalroots.org for more of my teachings, videos, blogs, and books. You can also follow me on Instagram at yael underscore Eckstein or on Facebook at yael Eckstein. Shalom and see you next week.